Hello everyone, I'm Constitutional Attorney Katherine Henry, and welcome to this week's Constitution Segment Recap. Today is just the Constitution Segment Recap. It's not the full discussion on the subject of the week. Uh, that was um, what we did in our live video on Tuesday at noon. We always do those full episodes for the week on noon at, on Tuesdays. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next Tuesday at noon for our next week's full episode. But uh, today we want to go over and give you just a recap of the parts of the Constitution and state law that we talked about this week. Um, so uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and transition here. Um, so this week we were talking about jurisdiction and uh, that it's the court's power to hear and decide any kind of case. We talked about the three main kinds of jurisdiction, territorial, personal, and subject matter. We talked about uh, territorial being, you know, not some legalese, but just it just means the territory, the physical place. Does the court have jurisdiction over things in that particular location? Uh, is it a Georgia court trying to hear matters uh, over property that is located in Florida? That wouldn't make any sense. Right. Um, and what about um uh, well, in, in here we had the example, a different example of the 57th District Court in uh, Allegan County, Michigan. It's only allowed to hear uh, cases that cover matters that happen in Allegan County. Uh, personal jurisdiction. We talked about that being a court's power to bring a person into its adjudicative process. Basically, the court's authority over a particular person and to be able to decide matters uh, involving a particular person. Um, so we talked about that example that if there's a person that never lived in California, never visited California, didn't do any business in California, doesn't own any property in California, no court in California would have personal jurisdiction over that person for any kind of case. Now, subject matter jurisdiction, that third one, we talked about that being jurisdiction over the nature of the case and the type of relief sought. So it's over the kind of case. If, if the court doesn't have jurisdiction over that kind of case, no matter who the particular uh, defendants are, for example, in a criminal case, then the court doesn't have subject matter jurisdiction. And this is something that applies equally in criminal cases or in civil cases. Subject matter jurisdiction is important. For example, a federal bankruptcy court cannot decide anything about a divorce case because they don't have subject matter jurisdiction. And um, a trial court has to, must, dismiss a case where there is no subject matter jurisdiction. And so um, no one in the case can be stopped from raising that issue. Usually it would be the defense, uh, the defendant who raises that issue. But sometimes it's you have a complaint filed by a, a plaintiff and then, you know, you might have an, a counter complaint filed by the original defendant. And they're in this intense litigation. Then all of a sudden you realize, oh, my gosh, the plaintiff says, oh, my gosh, I just realized the court doesn't even have subject matter jurisdiction over this issue. So. Um, I need to tell the court about this and they have to dismiss the case. It doesn't matter who, which party it is. A party cannot be stopped from raising this issue. And I'll make this a little bit bigger so you could see that that particular that 
applies to other courts and other states, but that particular quote came from the um, in contempt, uh, in rate contempt of Dorsey, a Michigan Court of Appeals case from 2014. Um, furthermore, again, this is just something that the Michigan Supreme Court has said in 2001, but this is something the U.S. Supreme Court and all the other courts in the, in the U.S. Um, have to acknowledge that the lack of subject matter jurisdiction can be raised at any time, and it can't be waived. You can't, the court can't assume that you just, you're okay with the court not having subject matter jurisdiction. And they can't say, oh, you didn't raise this right away. You didn't raise it during your trial. No, you can even raise subject matter jurisdiction as a problem after a case has gone to trial. Even if it's a criminal case and you've already been convicted by a jury, you could still raise this. If the court doesn't have subject matter jurisdiction, the whole case as though it never happened. In fact, the next one is a Michigan Supreme Court case. Again, it's just from Michigan, but this concept applies all over and you can find cases that say this if you do your own searching. But the practical result of successfully challenging a case because the court does not have subject matter jurisdiction is to prevent a case from taking place or to prevent a trial from taking place at all rather than to just give the court certain rules that they have to follow when the case is going on. Another case, and this is Johnson v. Zerbst. Yeah, pronounce that three times fast. Uh, United States Supreme Court case from 1938. Yes, U.S. Supreme Court nearly 100 years ago. They are the ones that said that it's a judgment of conviction, that, that a judgment of conviction pronounced by a court without jurisdiction is void. Whole thing is though it never even happened. And any judge in the U.S., anywhere in the U.S., has to be alert to look at the facts, check things out, investigate if need be, because if it is true that um, as to an allegation that there's no subject matter jurisdiction and it would make the trial void, the court has the duty to look at that and make sure that they do in fact have subject matter jurisdiction if somebody claims that they don't. So we also talked about MCL, which is a Michigan state law, 750.552, where in order to prove that someone is guilty of criminal trespassing, that a prosecutor has to uh, prove beyond reasonable doubt that the person remained on someone's property without lawful authority or a good faith of, of having a good faith claim that they had lawful authority to be there after someone told them to leave and that the person telling them to leave had lawful authority to make them leave. Uh, we talked about different pieces and parts to that. Um, there's all kinds of uh, different um, elements uh, talking about, you know, we start as people with authority to act unless there is a legal and constitutional restriction created to stop us from doing such a thing. Uh, that government has no rights, no source of rights or property ownership or whatever on its own, but that it derives all of its authority and power from we the people. Uh, all of those things are more specifically discussed and cited in the legal briefs that I have submitted in this Allegan County case and available on our website, restorefreedomkh.com. 
under the resources tab and then documents, uh, specifically going to that top uh, blue button at the top right now. Uh, that's the Allegan County documents and the most recent Allegan County documents um, are separate for now. I apologize, but you can find uh, the PDF that gives you the link for all of those under the updates tab. We just posted that link today under the updates tab. Um, Anyway, so uh, this is just a recap, though, that in general, what kinds of constitutional protections apply? Well, in a case like this, uh, in my case, being charged with criminal trespassing on government-owned property that is open to the general public, it's very clear that there is a 14th Amendment equal protection claim because for all property open to the general public, all members of the public have an equal right to access that. And the direct quotes from the cases uh, saying these things, <coughs> excuse me, um, those are available in those uh, documents, those briefs that I mentioned. But the concept to focus on, the main constitutional provision or segment to look at is the 14th Amendment uh, protections uh, for equal protection. Uh, also, there's First Amendment issues, speech, assembly, petition, uh, because the First Amendment protects a right of access to places traditionally open to the public. So, <coughs> excuse me, there's uh, First Amendment protections on top of the general equal protection for all people. We also talked about um, some rules of professional conduct that are specific to attorneys. Um, these are Michigan rules of professional conduct, but there are similar provisions in your own state's um, rules of professional conduct for attorneys. A lawyer is a part of the judicial system charged with upholding the law. And I'll make this a little bit bigger yet. Let's see, does it make it bigger? Yes. That is uh, Michigan Rule of Professional Conduct 1.6, looking at the official comment explaining that rule. Lawyers uh, have a duty when necessary to challenge the rectitude of official action and uphold legal process. That's in uh, Rule 1.0 in, in the preamble. This is not just for prosecuting attorneys. This is for all attorneys. And if you look at Rule of Professional Conduct for Michigan Attorneys 8.4, the official comment uh, mentions that a lawyer may refuse to comply with an obligation imposed by law if a good faith belief, uh, upon a good faith belief, that no valid obligation exists. And of course, above all else, a lawyer has a duty to protect and inform the public. And that's in any jurisdiction. Uh, <clears throat> so we talked about the different elements of um, my particular case uh, that I have the authority to be on public property open to the general public, uh, that I have the authority to um, 
<clears throat> be there for, you know, under equal protection and uh, my First Amendment protections. But then we talked about the flip side, the authority of a government official to kick somebody off of uh, government property or specifically property open to the general public. And uh, we talked about some big concepts that government was created by the people, acts on behalf of the people, and derives its authority from the people. That we, the people, uh, through the Constitution, defined and limited the powers of government. So no government official can do anything unless we have specifically give them, given them the authority to do that in the U.S. or Michigan constitutions or other state constitution uh, if you live somewhere else. So for my case, that meant the clerk had, uh, she, she still is not able to point to any authority anywhere in the U.S. or Michigan constitutions or even in Michigan state law that says she has the authority to remove me from that property. But we also talked about um, some specific state laws, such as MCL 600.1825, subdivision three, that prohibited them from arresting me for trespassing or really any number of things while I'm there to serve as an attorney. Public officials cannot be arrested for the act of doing their job. And my job was to protect and inform the public. And that's what I was there doing that day. And there's no doubt they don't argue that I was there as an attorney that day. Um, another state law, 750.543Z, says that the prosecution, in case they couldn't figure out what the First Amendment was about or what it meant to them, this state law says that they shall not prosecute any person for conduct presumptively protected by the First Amendment. Uh, this particular township's own resolution, uh, it um, protected the activities that the circulators were there doing that day that I was there defending the right to do um, as long as it was done beyond 100 feet from the entrance of the building. Um, but also we talked about concepts like um, that ordinances and not resolutions are the things that um, can be used to regulate the people, that courts have no subject matter jurisdiction to hear cases of someone violating a, a, a local resolution, but rather violating a local law or ordinance or um, charter. And those are more specifically uh, all the laws and cases and everything that talk about those concepts are in those briefs that we talked about. Um, we also talked about that election law specifically preempts uh, any kind of local regulation where a local government is trying to interfere with election activity or um, the fact that state law preempts um, uh, the concepts or, or um, regulations for uh, vehicle and parking, that those laws preempt local regulations so that they cannot interfere with um, the vehicles or parking activities. Um, if there are local regulations about vehicles or parking, um, then state laws provide the, the way of how uh, those local regulations have to be written, in what format, what are they allowed to do? Are they allowed to make it uh, a crime, like a misdemeanor or a felony? Or if you violate a parking law, does it have to just be um, a civil infraction where you, you, know, you face no jail time? Um, so those kinds of things are more fully discussed in those briefs that we mentioned. 
uh, local officials can't just have endless authority to throw people off the property. And that's um, a bigger constitutional discussion that is um, discussed more fully in those briefs. And we talked about criminal intent that um, nearly all all crimes you can't be convicted of unless the prosecutor proves beyond a reasonable doubt that you had the mens rea or the intent to do the act that constituted the crime. So if you're physically present somewhere and you either have the authority to be there or you um, justifiably think that you have the authority to be there, there's no criminal intent to trespass. So there's no jurisdiction for a court to um, preside over a case where um, there's not even uh, it's, there's not even an allegation that you intended to do that. Um, and I guess that was it. That was it came to an abrupt end. But um, those are the main things that we talked about. So um, again, uh, this is just the Constitution segment recap. And it's just something that's meant to give you that overview of what we talked about. Um, some of the parts of the Constitution or laws or cases that we talked about to help refresh your memory and maybe give you the opportunity to, to grab a piece of information you didn't quite catch in the, the full episode on Tuesday. So with that being said, I hope that you were able to catch our uh, way to get involved uh, challenge this week or um, request, ask in this case for this week, um, yesterday, as well as we hope that you tune in tomorrow for our freedom fighting tools on Friday and uh, Saturday for our Restore Freedom goodie of the week, as well as uh, Sunday's biblical insight on this very important topic. But of course, we also look forward to seeing you next Tuesday at noon for the next full episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. Again, I'm constitutional attorney, Katherine Henry. Thank you so much and have a great day.